Our reading for today is from Gospel According to Mark, chapter 9, beginning at verse 38. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to Gehenna, the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into Gehenna. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into Gehenna, where, there, where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts serve to draw us nearer and nearer to you, our God, our strength, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. Last week, Reverend Ryan reflected on the verses immediately before these ones where Jesus reminds the disciples that whoever wants to be first must be last and that whoever welcomes those in receiving mode, those in utter dependency like a child, welcomes God himself. The reading we heard is the very next thing. And I just want to paint a little picture here for you. There is Jesus. He has sat down which signals to both the disciples and those of us peering through the lens of scripture today that he has entered into a time of formal teaching for his students. He's there and the disciples are all around and he finds out that they've been arguing over who is the greatest. No, he says, no, you're not getting it. Whoever wants to be first has to be last, the very servant of the slave. And you can almost picture him looking around and thinking, no, they still, they still don't get it. 
And so he grabs one of the household kids running around and he plunks this kid on his knee and he points to the little one, the one whose life is completely dependent on others and has zero value in their culture and says, no, like this one, right here, this one, you serve the lowest, you love the lowest, the neediest, and when you do that, you receive the very presence of God. Okay, got it? And then as we just heard, John says, So there was this guy, and he was casting out demons in your name. So he wasn't with us, so we told him to stop. Now, I'm going to warrant a guess that face palm wasn't a thing when Jesus was around, but I can just picture Jesus like, no, don't stop him. He's doing these things in my name. He's doing it. Let him go. Sometimes I read Mark's gospel, and I think, these disciples are such doorknobs. They argue over who is the greatest, and now they're worried about who's part of the in-group and who's out of the group. These guys just don't get it. But the truth is, I am as much of a doorknob as they are some days. Just like these disciples, I, and I might warrant a guess, we, need correction over and over and over again. What might start as something good ends up being intertwined with our own egos and gets distorted. Maybe what starts as a community service project ends up with a fiery battle over control of the board at the complete detriment of those who are being served. And I know that in all of our theologically varied denominations, we are guilty of it as well, When we say, I'm a Christian, but not that kind. Just like the disciples back then, we have judged others for the inadequate way they follow Jesus because the way they do it is different from us. And then it seems like Jesus does this about face, changing the subject altogether when he starts talking about the unquenchable fires of Gehenna, or hell, as it came to be known. More on that in a minute. But Jesus actually isn't changing the subject. He's bringing the disciples back on topic. When we read just chunks like this, we sometimes lose the continuity of the writing. So a few verses back, Jesus has performed a miracle, foretold his own death, he's here, and then he gets sidetracked by his disciples, arguing about who's the greatest, and Jesus brings them back around, teaching them about what it means to be a disciple. And then they veer off again, complaining that someone else who isn't part of their group isn't doing it right. And here we have Jesus bringing them back around again. It isn't a tangent. Jesus isn't talking about lopping off limbs for fear of eternal damnation. Jesus is pointing out the very thing the disciples are doing. He's trying to keep them right here, and they keep... So he tries another tactic, another teaching method. Now remember, he actually still has this kid on his lap when he says, don't interfere with others doing great things in my name. For if it causes one of these little ones to stumble, mm -mm, it's no good, you're doing it wrong. Then he has these passionate words 
Rather than causing a little one to stumble, to lose faith, it would be better to hang a great stone around your neck and jump into the sea. Drown yourself before you cause another person to lose faith. Whoa. And if your hand causes that stumbling, cut it off. Wandering foot, chop. Leering eye, scoop. These are jarring, provocative metaphors on purpose. Jesus wants us to pay attention. He says it's better to enter life maimed than to go as you are to Gehenna, to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And listen, like this is so loaded. This is so, so very loaded, right? Hell, eternal punishment and torment, this is a trigger for some of us. In the same bucket as sin, devil, evil, shame, Now, I will be totally honest, others of us are completely comfortable with this language. It works for us. And there are so many different understandings of hell that we really could do a whole series on it. (laughs) (laughs) But I do want to pause and talk about Gehenna, about hell. Just the way it is written here. This is actually a literal physical place on the outskirts of Jerusalem. It was a giant pit. That was essentially the garbage dump of the city. It was where human waste, dead bodies, animal carcasses, and every other kind of waste was dumped and burned. It was always on fire, consuming the constant uh, onslaught of garbage that a big city produces. And so they had this literal eternal burning fire that was putrid and terrifying and very, very real. There it was, always smoldering, filled with death and garbage and sewage rotting, burning flesh and waste. This quite literally was the most terrifying and disgusting place. So what is Jesus trying to illuminate here for us? By Jesus' day, and not just for Jesus, it had become a metaphor for those who had rejected God's way. And Jesus, yes, uses metaphor along with the physical and very sensory place that was right in front of them. Now, none of the things I read this week even suggested that we might take this literally. This is not a literal understanding. It was a physical example Jesus uses to explain what life separated from God is like. It is putrid, it is terrifying, and it is real. Now this is the thing about sin, those things that cause us to stumble, they are not issues of morality, They are all the ways we pull ourselves away from the generous, merciful, grace-filled love of God. Jesus isn't talking here about a wandering eye that causes us to be morally bankrupt. He's talking about the things the disciples are doing over these last few sections of scripture. He's talking about the ways in which our actions pull us away from our focus on God from our work for the kingdom, our work alongside God in the peace and reconciliation of all things. Jesus wants us here, and even when we don't mean to, 
Even when he is right in front of our faces, we veer off the rails, worrying about who's greatest and who's following Jesus in the wrong way. And Jesus says, if your eyes steer you off course, take them out. If it's your hand, get rid of it. It's better to be without a few things than to lose sight of the very most important thing. And so this call to his disciples, to us, is, as I have said, not about chopping off our groping hand, but to go within and take stock, take an inventory. What inside me is sending me off the rails? What is in the way of me moving forward towards love, towards justice, towards mercy, towards reconciliation? Is it my need to be right? Got to get rid of it. Is it my desire for status? Pluck it out. Is it my constant seeking for more and more financial security? Truly that one burns like an unquenchable fire within and steers us way off of God's dream of equality. That has got to go for us to follow. And what is the promise? Jesus tells us that he came that we might live, that all of humanity might live life, live life with abundance. These self-centered drives for power, wealth, dominance, authority, these drives that aren't centered in love and justice and mercy have to, according to Jesus, be chopped off. These are the things that steer us away from the real abundant life, from the way Jesus is trying over and over and over to get through to his disciples, us, Jesus struggles over and over to turn the disciples' thoughts from human thoughts to God thoughts. And these disciples have such great difficulty getting to where Jesus is leading them. And so do we. Our dis-ease with Jesus' teaching is a symptom we are left with in the church to this day. A dis-ease that we treat by coming here on Sunday morning through showing up at other church events, by fostering spiritual friendships with others who can, at times, be that voice of Jesus that says, "Uh, whoa, hey, you're getting way off base here, and tell us the truth about something that might need to be lopped off. This is why we read scripture. This is why we do service to others. Jesus' disciples, both then and now, are focused on personal fulfillment and satisfaction, even when we aren't trying to be. We fool ourselves when we think this is a product of our modern culture. We might have different expressions of it, but here we are, at the turn of the century, listening to Middle Eastern Jews who do the very same thing that we do. This is not about who is the greatest, who will sit at the right hand of the Father, or to put it in more modern terms, this is not about finding some spirituality that will meet all of our felt needs. Jesus tells us that God is at work in the world, and there is no time or space for self-indulgence, or even self-indulgent spiritualities that shirk personal cost or responsibility or resist it on the grounds that all the desires and hopes we find within 
must be realized. This is about allowing God to prune away those parts of ourselves that might even seem useful, like feet and hands and eyes, in order to stay on track. There is a cost. Walking around without a hand is not ideal. The irony of this, the Christian life, is that we scoop out our eyes and we are given two eyes to see rightly. We chop off a hand and we realize that God has given us a new hand, a hand that reaches out across divides. This takes tremendous faith. And it is so scary to chop off a foot that we have been walking around with all this time. And to trust Jesus when he says, no, really, this is better. I make all things new. I make all things new, beginning with you, starting right now. I will give you the feet you need to follow me. It's a big ask. But let me tell you, I have seen it. I have seen this miracle over and over and over again. God shows up every single time to get us back on track, to heal our wounds, to bring us out of the putrid pit of despair and into the newness of life in Christ. And in it all, we are not alone because we live in God's world. We follow the one who does not stumble who does not shame us or leave us when we stumble, but who finds new ways to bring us along, slowly replacing our objectionable parts with mercy and grace and love. May we be given the faith to follow today. Amen.